This is Deepa from DeepaBarrow.com, and you're listening to the Deep Beauty Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Deep Beauty Podcast. I am on with a very special guest today. This is Vi Shelley. She is the daughter of an amazing mother. She's the youngest sister of three girls and the emotional support for her family. How are you doing today, Vishelli? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me, Deepa. I appreciate it. No problem. So we were actually just talking off air about the fact that you live in D.C., which is a phenomenal city, and that you love winter. I do. Um, I grew up in Michigan, and I only moved to D.C. when I was uh, 24. So my whole life, I've grown up around cold weather, especially fall, which is right now. And I I love everything about this season, which I know most people do. Um, But I can't stand heat, and D.C. is basically the South, and I'm miserable here. Um, <laughs> it's too so funny. You don't normally I'm, hear that. I'm, I'm fascinated <laughs> by that because I'm, like, trying to leave winter. I'm trying to break up with winter, and you are actually married to winter. So, <laughs> so Vaishali, the reason why we wanted to have you on the podcast is um, you have something really important to talk about, um, something that you've gone through in your life that I think will resonate with a lot of listeners and some great insight that will actually help a lot of people. That are listening in right now. So, you lost a parent, um, your dad actually, when you were 25. Is that is that correct? Yep, uh, just before I turned 25. Uh, so about um, it would be almost seven years at this point, I believe. Wow, that's that's such a major thing to go through, and I think that like I mean, for a lot of people, it's really it's really a difficult thing to go through, and oftentimes you don't really know how to navigate that. I mean, I know when. I lost my grandfather, so my dad's dad, um, I was, I think in my, like, mid, it was around you, yeah, like, mid-20s, and I had no idea how to deal with it. It was the first major loss that I experienced as an adult to be able to understand what was happening. Um, It took me, I think, about 10 years before I was able to really just not break down or not try to suppress those feelings every time I I thought about him or, or heard his name. So how how would you say that losing a parent, which would be even such a bigger, more traumatic thing, how did it shape you as the person you are today? So, you know, before my dad had passed away, I had experienced loss within my community, uh, friends of my parents, older relatives, um, and even one of my mentors from middle school. Oh, wow. Um, you know, a lot of people who had been a part of my life, but none so significant as an immediate family member. Um, even speaking of grandparents, I was three when uh, my mom's mother passed away. And before that, um, all my other grandparents had passed away before I was born. So I'd never actually experienced the loss of someone so close to your family, so part of their everyday lives. Um, So we had come a little bit closer to losing my mom uh, when I was a teenager. Oh, my gosh. Um, when I was 13, my mom was diagnosed with stage two colon cancer. Oh my um, gosh. And she was one of the lucky ones. You know, we were so fortunate um, that she survived through it. She was cancer free after just one round of chemo. And she went through surgery. Uh, she was out of the hospital within two days and then six months of chemo and she was cancer free. That's amazing. Um, Great for her. Yeah. And, but here's the thing, you know, when I was 13, like, you know, yeah, I just wasn't, I don't actually remember being able to fully grasp what was happening to her, you know, so I, I think I was just kind of in denial that she was going through this. And I, you know, I, I kind of felt like she just had to survive because a world in which 
I existed without my parents by my side was just not conceivable. Yeah, no, um, I, I completely understand that. I could not, even still, like at this age, I still could not, I could not imagine it. Yeah, you know, your parents or your siblings, they're immortal. They're going to be around mm-hmm. forever. It's just, you're kind of in this naive state where this is the absolute truth and nothing can happen to them because they're your family. Yeah. Um, you know, so I was uh, just a month away from losing my dad. I was about to turn 25 um, I'd been living in DC for a year at that point, and I kind of just felt like things were really great. We, um, I was trying to establish this life away from my parents, but also trying to find ways to maintain that relationship. Um, and I was constantly stressed out about the smallest things. Um, I partied pretty hard on weekends. I went out with my friends all the time. Um, I mean, that's normal and, stuff when you're in your early twenties, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. You're like in a new city, you're getting to know people or trying to meet boys. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this, you know, this wasn't really how I was dealt with stress. It's just something that kind of developed a little bit later in life as my family started to go through different things when I was finishing up high school and, you know, going through my undergrad program, mm-hmm. you know, so after, after my dad's passing, my mentality changed about a lot of things. I like to think that you know, life was suddenly way too short. Yeah. I just remember that whole, there was this period after that and it lasted for almost a year and a half where I was the most stress-free I've ever been. I, I didn't care about anything. I was, I rarely got angry and I, I just wanted to spend way more time with my family because we were each other's lifelines. Mm. I wanted my mom to feel more loved than she ever had been. And, and, you know, I just, my heart broke for her Mm. every day while we watched her grieve. My mom moved to D.C. Uh, within a few months, and I, at the time, I was living with my oldest sister, and my middle sister was living in New York, and so we we basically saw each other all the time. We started to develop this new way of living a quote-unquote normal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are our holidays without dad? We're never going to be able to eat his home-cooked food again. We're never going to be able to hear his laugh. We, we know that we'll he'll never get to meet our future husbands and our grandchildren that we'll have one day. It's a really, it was a really hard pill to swallow and it, it still is. Um, but you know, the thing is you just have to figure out how you function every day. Yeah. That's not something I think mo- like most people will ever have to experience or even have to think about, you know, how, about all those moments that are going to be missed. It's just, you know, it, it breaks your heart to hear that. H- how old was your dad when he passed away? He was, uh, let's see, he would have been 65 this year. So uh, he was just a few years shy of 60. Um, That's so 57. young. Yeah, he was really young. That is so young. Um, my dad is in his early 70s. And even still, like, I mean, even though 70s sounds, you know, like you're getting up there in years, I still couldn't imagine, you know, not having him around for the next 20 years. Like, but I think we we were talking about the circumstances around your father's death and uh, that it was alcohol-related. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, alcoholism, unfortunately, is a pretty big occurrence in our culture, you know, in the South Asian community. How did your dad's, like, drinking sort of affect you and your family and the way everything was perceived by the community uh, when he passed? So, you know, you're right. Alcoholism alcoholism is a huge problem in our culture. Um, And the issue is that our culture doesn't really acknowledge alcoholism as a real disease. True. Uh, We we label it as, oh, my dad and his three friends are getting together and going through a bottle of Black Label this weekend. Or, you know, beer to after work is, 
yeah, right? Like Porsche Regal. Um, I mean, you say black label and that's like synonymous with Indian men, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, so when we start to think about turning to alcohol to deal with stress or reasons we are unhappy or even normalizing that behavior, mm-hmm. it's worrisome. True. You know, thinking of depression is another one that uh, it's another legitimate and prevalent disease that our culture refuses to recognize. And those two can sometimes go hand in hand. So true. And, you know, I think the the thing with my dad was that a lot of people didn't know anything was wrong. And for the longest time, I didn't really think anything was wrong. I thought it was just, oh, dad's having another beer. It's four in the afternoon. No big deal. Yeah. You know, or he's got this liquor cabinet and I, I don't see how much is coming out of it every day. Yeah. It, and so I just didn't really, I guess I just didn't see it um, until it was too late. And you know, my dad's passing was a result of many factors, but I know alcohol and depression both played a role in it. You know, he drank because he was depressed and he was depressed because he drank. Mm. Um, the thing I've realized is that these diseases are genetic. And if I'm not careful, there's a chance that I could very easily fall down that same rabbit hole. Has that affected the way you sort of socialize and drink and all that kind of stuff now? It has. I think most people can agree that in college, you kind of prided yourself on having a high tolerance oh, of course, yeah. and you wanted to be able to drink like the boys. And, you know, for a few years after college, I partied just as hard as I did when I was an undergrad after my dad passed. And, you know, now in my thirties and kind of gripping to my mortality, yeah. I'm way more conscientious about why I'm choosing to drink and just how much I'm having in just that one sitting. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that I don't have wild nights out. I don't, you know, wake up with a terrible hangover. But the one thing I know is different now than was before is I recognize why I'm choosing to drink. And I also am aware that if I'm upset or angry or stressed, I'm not going to drink. It's not going to be the thing I turn to as a way to deal with it. So instead, I'll choose other things like exercise, or I'll spend time talking to friends about what is upsetting me. And, you know, it's not going to be, oh, I'll just have a glass of wine. It's going to help distress my day. That's huge that you've gotten to that point because for a lot of people, they don't see that connection, you know? Yeah. I I mean, myself personally, like, you know, I definitely went through that whole, you know, hard partying phase and, you know, and extended for, for quite a few years. Um, but, you know, when you're in that phase, you don't see the fact that you don't really need to be doing these things to have a good time. And especially in our community, because it's such a, it's such a weird, you know, sort of, what's the word? It's not scenario, but, but I guess you could say scenario where it's like alcohol is such a huge part of our community, especially with the dads and the uncles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And it's so exactly as you said, normalized. But then when it comes to the kids, it's like, okay, well, you know, like do as I say, don't, not as I do. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, you're kind of shunned from that and you're not allowed to drink. And which makes a lot of kids want to do it even more. So it's like if if we just sort of lifted that whole veil and got the discussion open and actually talked about what it is that drinking does to you, why people do it, um, you know, what the negative effects are, what the positive effects are. And let's all sit down as adults when you get to a certain age. And it doesn't have to be when you're 40. It can be when you're 14. You can have that discussion with your children when they're 14 and talk about it and open the lines of communication. I just feel like it would just be processed so much better and it would be handled so much better by our community and it wouldn't be such a major part, you know? It wouldn't 
it wouldn't have the effect that it does on on the kids and on the parents. I could, yeah, I completely agree. Well, I'm I'm really happy that you're actually talking about this because not a lot of people would be brave enough to actually discuss this kind of thing. So, you know, my hat goes off to you for opening up that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, here's the thing. It once upon a time alcohol was this thing that we all did and it's fun and it's amazing and it, you know, it still is. It's just everyone has to know what triggers them. Everyone has to know a little bit about their family history to see if it is going to affect them in a way that's negative. Right. It's just about being self-aware of what it can do. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Um, So going back to the whole um, grieving process. Now, a lot of people will sort of handle it in different ways. And, you know, some will be a little bit more, you know, positive than others. Some will turn to, you know, just sort of shunning it completely and not, not allowing themselves to go through it. What advice do you have for people that are listening in um, that are going through a loss at this moment or that will be going through a loss pretty soon? So if you kind of just do a search on the stages of grief, you, you did bring up a few of them. There are five stages. There's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um I absolutely went through all five of these stages. And for the last seven years, I've experienced many of them through minute triggers, um, things like certain songs or movies, or probably the worst one is when I see a father-daughter dance at a wedding. I was recently talking to a friend about how I'm doing this podcast with you. And one of the things he said was to think about what surprised me while I was going through the process of losing my dad. That's great. I think what surprised me the most and... This is actually what my advice to listeners is, is that I had to recognize two things. I had to recognize that each step in this process looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. It, on paper, grief looks like this cookie cutter process. You go through one, then two, then three, then four, then five. In real life, it's anything but that. Denial can be so different. And th- I think the one stage that probably was different for my sisters and myself uh, was anger. Um, we all exerted our anger in very different ways. Um, and some of us held on to it a lot longer than others. The other piece of advice I have is just to recognize that acceptance is an inherently personal choice. There's no standardized amount of time needed for grieving. Uh, I may have accepted my father's death a long time ago, but not a day goes by when I don't think about him or how much better my life would be if he were still here. I, For the last seven years, I've had great days. I've had good days. I've had bad days. And I've had days when I couldn't even get out of bed. And Mm. it just made me think that I was wired wrong. Did I, did I not deal with this grief properly? Did I not, you know, did I not go through these stages properly? Did I spend too much time in one or the other? And, you know, I questioned myself. It just felt like I had days when I was in the hospital losing him all over again. Uh, And it was only in the last two years that I've come to grips with the fact that I can't put so much pressure to be 100% okay all the time. Yeah, It's okay to remember our loved ones. It's okay to cry when you're overwhelmed with sadness. You can smile when you think about them. You can be afraid to watch home videos. You can call your friends when you need support. Most importantly, what I hope our listeners will understand is that it's just allowed to be an ongoing process and you don't have to feel afraid to face that emotion you have. Yeah. And, you know, I think one of the things that got us through and one of the things I'm so grateful for is this community of family and friends that my parents created before we were even born. Um, the people that they called on when they needed anything. These were the people who 
stuck by our side when we were in the hospital for a week waiting to figure out what was going on. They were there for us after the fact. They're there with my mom now that she's back in Michigan. I just, you can't ask for anything better than a support system that is there for you when things are great and when things are terrible. That's one of the, uh, I think one of the most amazing things about our community is is the constant support that you get. It's, it's pretty amazing to see because not a lot of communities have that. Yeah. And I, I tried explaining this to my fiance because my fiance is Mexican and he doesn't have a particularly close family. You know, I said that experience, it really showed me that this is the kind of network this is the kind of community I want to build for our kids so that if anything like this ever happens, they never feel alone. That's really nice. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I feel like um, whenever, uh, in the beginning when Derek would come out, um, Derek, my husband, would come out to any of our family events and stuff like that, he just was so amazed. So, so amazed at the amount of people, A, that were there and B, that cared, genuinely cared about each other, you know, and genuinely wanted to be around each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you take that for granted because that's how you grew up and that's what you're surrounded by. But when somebody from, you know, an outside or different perspective comes and sees that and points that out to you, it's just like, wow, you know what? We really are very fortunate. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is I've been trying to make that kind of community in D.C., and I feel like I've succeeded, but it's it's not the same, right? Our parents came here with very little um, except to lean on each other for support, and so they built these relationships that I think are just unmatched. And if we're, ha- if we're lucky to have even half of that, I think we'll be our, – our family will be in a great shape in the future. It's just – it's we are fortunate to have that kind of network of people, and not just in a local – facility, but kind of across the country, across the world, you have these people that will reach out to you if anything is wrong. So true. It's so true. And and I think the internet has really helped sort of connect people as well to, to form these communities of like-minded people and people that you can lean on each other. I really, I really like the fact that you, what you said about when it comes to grieving, about allowing yourself to feel whatever it is that you're feeling in that given moment. I think a lot of people don't let themselves go there, but you know what? There is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to cry one day and wanting to be happy another day. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. And I think everyone just needs to, you know, just be a little bit more gentle with yourself, allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling and just, just, you know, just back off a little bit, treat yourself like you would, you know, a friend, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we do place this pressure on ourselves that I think kind of stems back to the whole Indian culture or the South Asian culture where, You really shouldn't air your dirty laundry in public. Everything should be 100% handy, you know, okay, and you're you're supposed to be all dandy. And I just don't agree with that, especially now. If you're not feeling like yourself, don't always put on that front. Know where to go when you need help. Know whether it's a friend or it's professional help. Know where you need to go to get help to deal with it. I studied psychology in undergrad, which is like, why would you do that? We don't deal with emotions in the South Asian culture. Um, and so my mom always said, why is this something you want to do? And I said, well, I feel like I'm very in touch with my emotions. And I think that I can help people understand, especially in our community, how to sort through it and how to kind of cope with each of those different emotions, whether it's happiness or sadness or anger. And I think kind of going through my dad's, going through what we did with his passing uh, it kind of opened my eyes a little bit more to understand that if I'm sad, if I see something happening and it triggers um, an emotion in me, 
I'm going to cry. It's just going to happen. I'm not going to hold it back. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a hundred percent fine with what's happening at that moment. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that if a friend is there, they'll help me. They'll talk to me. They'll make sure that I can kind of pull myself out of it. I love that. I really do. Honestly, that's that right there is why I decided to start this podcast in the first place was, you know, I just wanted our people in our community to be able to have a place to, or have permission basically to talk about whatever they're going through and to not feel like they can't do that, you know, because for far too long, we've suppressed our emotions and and hit our dirty laundry and, and, and not allowed ourselves to just be who we are, but instead, you know, have this pressure to be perfect and to live perfect lives and do the right thing all the time. And it's like, no, you know what, we are human at the end of the day, and we're all flawed. We all have our experiences and emotions, and we need to go through them. And, 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 and my hat goes off to people like you that are willing to you know, open up about these things. So thank you so much, Vashelli, for being on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Deepa, for giving me a platform to do this. I, I really, you know, I love what you're doing. I love the message of your podcast. And uh, I just, you know, I want to thank the listeners also for, for being a part of this. Thanks. And also too, if for those of you that are listening that want to maybe delve a little bit deeper into the grieving process and want to reach out to Vashelli, I'm going to put all of her information in the blog post for this episode and you can contact her and she's open to talking to you guys and helping you guys out. And also if you guys aren't already Uh, part of the Deep Beauty Facebook community. Join now, hop onto Facebook, search Deep Beauty in groups, and you'll join this community of like-minded women that are wanting to connect with each other and have this community where they can turn to for strength and support and love. So I'll see you guys next week with another episode of the Deep Beauty Podcast. And thanks again, Vashelli. All right, thank you.